Hello and welcome to the Leadership and Insurance podcast. This is the podcast where we discuss what leadership looks like in the modern insurance business. We talk to insure tech leaders and founders, innovators and change agents from the insurance industry. We also talk to thought leaders from outside the industry, such as organizational psychologists, performance coaches and investment professionals. Anyone who can add value to the conversation on how to lead insurance businesses of the future. Sorry to interrupt the podcast. This is the host, Alex Bond. Um, We've got an exciting announcement to make. Um, Off the back of the podcast, we're exposed to many issues that are kind of topical or current, um, and some become really pervasive. And sometimes we are in the position to do something about it in our role as a recruitment business that specializes in insurtech. And one of those issues has been the lack of female leadership in insurance technology businesses. It's nothing new. It's nothing surprising. Um, We can see that the numbers are just simply not representative in the traditional insurance industry. But in a nascent industry, in in a burgeoning and growing industry, in an industry that's so exciting, it's a little bit disappointing to see that the numbers continue to not stack up. There are simply not enough female leaders in the insurance technology business. So what can we do about that? Well, look, there's no time for me to have a savior complex, but what I can do is build networks and what I can do is build platforms. And so one of those platforms we've decided to kind of launch is the flight series, the female leaders in insurance technology event series. This will be a series of events that will start in 2022. They will involve in-person events, they involve online events to encapsulate the global audience, and they are going to include some specific mentoring opportunities. So I'm excited to announce that the first of those is happening on 13th of January. That will be a London in-person event. It will be a ticketed event. um, And we get a fantastic panel of female speakers to talk about attracting talent to InsureTech. So if you're interested in InsureTech, if you're interested in discussing opportunities in InsureTech, we'd love to see you there. Please check out the FinPro website, www.wearefinpro.com for more information. Good morning and welcome to the Leadership and Insurance podcast. I'm your host, Alex Bond, and I'm very lucky to be joined by Carrie-Anne from Loop Insurance. Carrie-Anne, good morning. How are you? Good morning. I'm doing wonderfully. Thank you. Awesome. Well, look, um, we were obviously talking very briefly, um, and, and I know Loop, um, otherwise I'd be very ill-prepared, but um, it'd be really helpful if you could kind of explain the business and, and what it is you, that you guys do. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you again for having me on the podcast. I know uh, it reaches many financial services professionals who are super familiar with the field of insure tech and understand some of the landscape that's been going on right now um, in terms of companies recently IPOing, brand new companies into the space, really a dramatic transformation happening in the industry right now when it comes to using data, technology, and really a focus on fairness. So that's what Loop does. We launched a car insurance company um, that focuses on our mission to make car insurance more fair and transparent for more people by leveraging modern data and technology to deliver on a really amazing customer experience and product experience. So uh, we launched recently in 2021, um, and we've been live in market selling auto insurance, learning a lot from our customers along the way. 
Um, in particular, one thing that makes us very different is our focus on underwriting accurately and giving our customers great rates. So what that means is that we look at uh, data that other insurance carriers ignore for no good reason. Things like uh, whether the roads you're driving on are very unsafe to drive. Have they had traffic crashes in the past? When you're driving on them, are you driving under safe conditions? Is it snowing? Is it raining? Um, and what, how are you behaving on those roads? Are you talking on your cell phone in the most dangerous intersection in all of uh, where, where I'm based in Austin, Texas, and likely to get in, involved in a crash? Those things are super important to know when it comes to giving folks an honest and fair rate for insurance. Um, but the things that don't matter, the things that we shouldn't measure, things like whether you can pay your bills and you have a high credit score, whether you own your home, you have the financial means to own your home, um, or whether you've achieved higher degrees. Myself, I'm very educated, but I don't think I'm any more of a good driver than uh, my co-founder and co-CEO who graduated high school and dropped out of community college to found his first business. Mm -hmm. So there's a real important um, differentiator between what Loop does and what other insurance carriers or even new insurance technology companies in the space do is that it really kind of comes down to how we think about the business of insurance and serving people in an honest and fair way. Mm -hmm. I hear you. And, and <clears throat> Thank you for that. And uh, you know, joking before we started recording that you can, I'm always impressed by the professional manner and succinct manner and that people who've raised money managed to get that over. <laughs> yeah. um, it's good practice to get yeah. your elevator pitched down when a meeting can uh, result in an eight to $10 million check. It, it does <laughs> does really put your pitch in perspective yeah sharpens the mind right sharpens it the does. Mind. um uh, i should i should try it one time um i'm always amazed actually by it just as an aside i've always kind of you know i think my sort of view on 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 starting businesses was always quite kind of uh what would i say kind of emergent from something i'm doing so i worked in recruitment and now i run a recruitment company and, and therefore it was kind of almost kind of never was about raising money and of course you, you didn't didn't need to raise sums of money because there's no tech involved but it's a fascinating kind of experience um and actually i was going to ask you um, is this this is the first time you've gone out and raised money to start a business before that was academia it was was this your first time raising raising money raising capital yeah, I can give you a little bit more of a background on me. Um, I come from about a decade of building a very deep expertise in how to leverage data to build machine learning models. Mm -hmm. um, in particular, I found a really awesome public resource of data. This is free you know, it's like going to the library versus buying a college education, right? Mm -hmm. A free data set that was being published by the local and state governments that had incredible volumes of data and is something I could play with and really explore and understand uh, this question that I cared about, which was where are car crashes happening? Mm -hmm. um, and are they happening in places that we expect, that we can anticipate, that we can prevent. Mm -hmm. um, because the benefit of actually addressing that question to me is a meaningful life purpose, right? Like making sure people are safe on the road and they get to where they need to go mm -hmm. and that they can get to work or get to daycare if they need to drop their kid off. 
um, and that there is sort of physical and structural inequality built into our world that maybe prevents some people from having an equal chance or an equal opportunity to get ahead. And so I built a career really around resolving this question of physical mobility and its implications on upward economic mobility. And that has taken me across academia. Uh, I do have a degree from MIT and I founded a lab there called the Lab for Regional Innovation and Spatial Analysis. Larissa for short. We wanted it to be named something, <laughs> a feminine name because it is like really it. being led by women. Um, but to explore these questions of the living wage, like where can people earn a decent living? Um, how hard is it to get there, to get to those jobs? Um, but my career has gone outside of academia as well. I've um, worked for organizations, preeminent research organizations, the Brookings Institution, the Urban Institute, where I was leading some research um, related to the recession and how we bounced back from the re recession. Different cities performing differently, different communities, different neighborhoods becoming more poverty stricken, concentrated poverty, for example, went through the roof after the recession. But the point being that I've built um, a very deep knowledge in a very specific domain. And so when I was ready to launch a business around this question, it was really because I felt like no one else in the world was asking the right questions. They didn't see what I saw. They didn't realize how big is this opportunity? Because when you bring it to insurance, now you start to say, okay, if I can predict where car crashes are going to happen and I can know which of my drivers are most exposed and I can layer on their behaviors with real-time information from their cell phone and develop products from that, um, that's a big opportunity. Right. And so when I went out to raise venture capital, I think venture capitalists initially look at the market size of insurance and they say, oh, it's $250 billion industry. This is like a huge market checkbox. But then the next big checkbox is the ambition of the founder to build something that is transformative to the industry mm -hmm. that functionally, like what we're doing, changes the unit economics of insurance from the ground up. It doesn't accept that the loss ratio of the average loss ratio of the market over the last five years is good enough, mm -hmm. uh, that it can be lower, that we can lower the actual risk of people being involved in a crash. Um, and I first thought, okay, I'm going to pitch this to the big incumbent carriers. So my first business was, can I sell this to Geico? Can I sell this to Progressive? And that's where I built a lovely network of people in insurance and, mm -hmm. made, and built relationships where people started to tell me, here's why this can't work in within the boundaries of the institution as it exists today. Mm -hmm. And they started to help me realize that not only were the doors I was knocking on closed, they were locked padlocked like the institution wasn't going to change what well, why it's, sorry just to interrupt but why wouldn't it work within those the, yeah it's a great follow-up question and it actually is why i think investors are so excited about what we do is that uh you know there's this fallback kind of saying oh insurance is highly regulated and so it's regulation that really makes it difficult it's actually that I, I think that the technological infrastructure on which the entire insurance industry stack is built is 
not agile and not adaptable to the modern reality of how to operate a business, how quickly you need to move, the level of customer service and care you need, the uh, data privacy and security infrastructure that you would want for your customers. Really, the technological infrastructure is archaic at best. Mm -hmm. And when you build a company and you build a product on top of a rotting technology infrastructure, um, you can never really deliver well on the customer province because you're you're dealing with this like tech debt and legacy that it takes 10 years to transition. Well, in that 10 years, a new company like Loop can come in, <laughs> implement sort of best practices as they exist today, have our entire stack in the cloud, incredibly secure, built in an agile environment with a modular po customer uh, policy administration system and a customer service, you know, uh, entire department built in Twilio that has text, live chat, phone, right? You can do these things from the ground up mm -hmm. and it builds a moat around you that investors say, wow, this is not just a $256 billion annual industry, this is actually a $256 billion annual industry that is ripe for the greatest technological transformation to hit it in the last 200 years. Mm -hmm. And so that's where you get the combination of big market, founders swinging big, and an opportunity with a little bit of a moat, enough of a moat around it, that you can give yourself a shot at getting a foothold in the market, getting enough traction to be known, to be respected, have a reputation, build a lost performance and continue to, to, to build a business. Mm -hmm. I want to, I want to take it back a bit because, you know, there's the, well, there's a lot to unpack there. Um, and, uh, you know, I'll get to that. Well, no, let's, let's go for that now. I mean, I, I, I suppose, you know, you guys are not alone in tackling auto and, and tackling it differently. And I, and I, and I think, you know, a lot of people are kind of starting from the ground up. Um, but without mentioning any names, it's kind of been mixed results in that. Um, sure. You know, why do you think that is? Um, and and I wanted to understand the kind of thing that makes you sort of different in that respect, because, you know, I think the promise has been similar. Um, you know, we're looking at data in a different way. We're building an agile tech stack. We're building it from the ground up. We don't have any legacy issues, but still they've run into um, poor underwriting profits, poor underwriting performance. Um, yeah, what's going to get you guys to avoid that, um, that kind of situation that we've seen some of the other insure techs fall into? Yeah, absolutely. So how I think of it is a little uh, bit more macro. So we'll start at the macro and then we can get down to the micro specifics. Sure. At the macro level, I think insurance has gone through a couple waves of innovation. We talk mm -hmm. about insure tech like it's one behemoth, but there's been kind of eras of insure techs that have existed. Mm -hmm. So what Loop needs to do to thread the needle. Now, we are a company that has full intention on IPOing. This is not an acquisition play for us. So it is important that we have the growth of the roots of the world that comes with selling a mass market product to people um, that is in multiple states, um, that has multiple lines of business over time. 
that is an important facet to us. But we need to balance that with the underwriting integrity that comes from the underlying data and technology that we uniquely bring to the table. Now, there are some operational efficiencies that we can learn from the clear covers and the progressives of the world to implement in our philosophy. But the thing that really gives us a durable long-term advantage is the intellectual property that we sit on. We know who's likely to be involved in a crash and who isn't. And therefore, at the end of the day, we will likely compete on loss ratio. And that's mm -hmm. one of our North Star metrics. Mm -hmm. um, now, growth is interesting, too, because I know you found Loop through social media. Mm -hmm. We've got we're on a discord. We're talking about NFTs. We are in Clubhouse hosting regular events. We're having in-person events all throughout the state of Texas. We're taking a very community-driven approach to growth, um, virality, word of mouth, telling friends that this is a company that you care about and you want to put your money, you want to buy a product in is the most important thing um, for us on the growth side. We're not looking to ramp advertising spending and like shove it down your throats that like you should have a jingle and a commercial and a mascot. No, it's about like actually building relationships with our customers. Mm -hmm. So when you pair that like, hey, we're going to compete on loss ratio. And I think we also have an advantage when it comes to distribution. Um, it's a super powerful um, play that sets us apart from those early incumbents that just focused on one thing or another mm -hmm. and missed that you have to do both really well and yeah that makes it harder but that's how you succeed as an insurance company mm -hmm. yeah it's interesting uh, uh, we'll get to the advertising and social media i think because i know um i think it was guy was it was it guy who came out and said you know if you Basically, if you're not spending a billion dollars on advertising a year on in auto, you're not, you know, you're not even serious. You know, this is this is the this is the kind of expenditure. So yeah, I mean, we raised twenty one million dollars in our Series A a couple months ago, and Progressive spends that in a month. So yeah. we are not naive to the reality that we are taking on a uh, market that spends a lot of money and that like needs to have it costs a lot to play right? Yeah. Because it's so saturated. Um, that's why you got to be in the places that other people aren't. And you have to do it in a way that you are actually organically part of that community. You can't drop into TikTok and put a LinkedIn post. It just doesn't speak to the people yeah. that are in those spaces. It's not designed for them. And it's immediately rejected like a host from the body, right? Mm -hmm. So what Loop is doing is paying attention to the modern forms of communication and the ways that people learn about new products today aren't necessarily only when they're watching Monday Night Football. It's also because they're spending a ton of time on social applications to educate themselves like Discord. We actually host a bunch of events about like how to participate in Web3, um, try to increase financial literacy and understanding about wealth building for our community is a way that we actually engage on platforms like Discord mm -hmm. or like Instagram. We get a little saucy. We've got a couple of memes out there that are a little bit like funny because that's how you communicate in Instagram. That's how you yeah. become part of that community. Mm. And um, I think insurance carriers have like kind of played pretend in social spaces but they haven't actually um, let the creatives and let the people who are in marketing and in growth and in this brand new industry in a modern era actually lead. They've yeah. been taking direction from 
people who've done marketing from 25 years ago, which is important, but not the be all end all. And they've left the door wide open for Lou. Yeah, no, it's interesting. Something I I just anecdotally like talking about the podcast. So, you know, I've had some of the big players come on, Mm -hmm. uh, not as many as I'd like. And mainly because if I'm talking to someone from an incumbent and then I go, oh, can you be on my podcast? It doesn't matter how senior that person is. It's like, <laughs> I'll, I'll speak to comms and then there'll be like some six meeting process. And, and yeah. to be honest, you know, someone turned around to me bluntly the other day and said, Alex, I'd love to, but I'm not going to jump through the amount of hoops I need to get on it. And I was like, that's insane. You know, my podcast is, you know, I'm not sitting here. It's, look, I'm not Joe Rogan, <laughs> but... Um, Nor are you like that, not able to answer no and use your discretion as a guest to be able to say like, hey, I'm not, I don't have the authority to talk on the loss ratio or performance of my book of business, but I have a thought that can contribute to this community and I yeah. want to engage with them yeah. is like really the missed opportunity. Yeah. And mine was like, look, you know, particularly when people are hiring or they're, you know, it, it's like, it's a, it's an opportunity to present a human face to your business. Um, Cause you know, um, I wanted to talk to you about something that you mentioned at the start and, um, and, and we got carried away. We've got into the meat and bones of it already, but I wanted to, you, fair and transparent is how you describe the business. Um, mm-hmm. do, you, do you think, is the implication from that that you don't think insurance as it is today is fair and transparent or, it, it, yeah, I mean, let's, let's ask that question. I was, I was going to, I was going to mediate it, but no, like let's, let's just to say it, ask that question. Yeah. I think that trust in financial services is broken and mm. the way that we rebuild trust is through fairness and transparency. Yeah. Um, because we've heard plenty of insurance companies say we're fair, we're honest, we're transparent. And those are all nice things that they write up on the wall and they walk past every day, but don't put into action. If we focus on the outcome that we need, the actions that we take are just the means through which we achieve that outcome. Mm. And the outcome we care about is actually trust. People have no confidence in their insurance carrier. Mm. They feel like they just bought a used car from a dealer and they don't know how they got ripped off, but they got ripped off. And a friend's going to tell them some trick six months from now that then they're going to switch because they have no fidelity to their in, their their insurance company. They haven't actually built any relationship with them, mm. and they have a if they have a relationship at all, it's a mistrust filled relationship. Mm. That's the problem. Mm. And when you invest in building trust with people through social media, through being present and hearing them uh, interacting with them. Our head of community, Taylor, she's fantastic. She leads a team of people who just go out and listen to our customers and have conversations with them on a regular basis. Mm. We're Mm. investing and rebuilding trust in an industry that is broken. And that's, again, a hard problem to solve. But if you do it, and that's what we aim to do, if you do it, you've built a company that has dedicated, loyal, raving fans who don't just like you a little bit because you gave them a discount here and you slipped them 20 bucks there and you gave them a free gift card then. But that says when things go wrong, I'm sure that they're going to take care of me. Mm. Like it gives me the chills that like, if we could deliver on that customer promise, we'd be one of the only companies in insurance to do it. Mm. 
That's the problem. That's that's the issue we're addressing. Yeah, I think it's I think it's a couple of things that I wanted to pick up on because I think I think it's the institution, it's the structural nature that we're talking about of the businesses. So so one of my frustrations, just as a consumer, is when you're confronted with oh, I've got something at the moment. So I'm 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 due a refund from a company. Um, it's through work, so it's you know it's like for a thousand pounds, right? It's 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 mm-hmm. a fairly large sum of money, um, and they keep trying to send me a check. <laughs> and the check keeps not arriving and I have to phone and they have to reissue me a check. Well, it's not even worth it anymore. <laughs> I know. You know, when you go and, but the person on the other end of the phone is just like, you can tell that they know this is crazy. Like they're going, I know this is a crazy scenario. So oh, yeah. bringing it back to our kind of example, I think, I think it's, I think everyone believes that generally most people are not trying to, screw you over most people are trying to be fair and transparent as individuals but i think you're right i think structurally um insurance infrastructure and structure has created such kind of complexity that seems unnecessary such kind of like a lack of kind of clarity about what the process is or what happens in the event of x um and one thing and it leads into what you're talking about with this kind of social media engagement because one thing that i had a conversation with someone to say the uk is very price driven um on most insurance for personal lines but you know motor Mm -hmm. um, home and because the only touch point you have with your insurer is when you do your renewal Mm -hmm. but that's only because the insurance company is not trying to engage with me on another like if they engage with me and added value, so if they find out, well, Alex, we noticed that you keep driving down this road or, you know, but it's, let's say, I don't know if this is what you're thinking, but let, let's say it was that, it could be that granular that you could go, oh, by the way, this is kind of quite accident prone at that time of night. You could take this route home and actually, you know, I, I'm just throwing it out there, but if there was any sort of engagement, you know, financial literacy, anything that added value, um, it gives me other opportunities to build a relationship. So then it doesn't just become about price. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could, I mean, I couldn't agree more. I think you're reiterating and you've known Luke for maybe, you know, a couple hours ahead of our, ahead of our call and getting to understand what we're really about. Mm. You hit the nail on the head. It's a very obvious missed opportunity to actually build a relationship with your customer mm-hmm. and, I think it comes actually full circle to the technological stack on which most of these insurers were built. And I come back to it as the root cause of their problems over and over and over again. It's the, it is not able to move as fast as marketing has moved. Mm -hmm. It is not able to learn the lessons of, okay, how did the customer actually receive this product and adjust and change and revise without multiple years of implementation. Mm -hmm. And then if you operate in this methodology and you patch fix for decades, you're in a situation that is not possible to undo, also not possible to modify you're stuck. You're grounded in a way. You're you're mm-hmm. stuck with what you have, and you're trying your best to make it work. Mm-hmm. Versus a lemonade, which I have to applaud the founders of Lemonade were very smart about saying we're going to get capitalized early enough to build the technology we need to own our own destiny, to yeah. be able to build whatever product we want to build on top, 
adapt to whatever user experience our users need because that changes too. Like it's smart for the intro techs of this era to get capitalized enough, including Loop, uh, get capitalized enough to own the tech stack because otherwise like every single part of it is broken. I'm talking not just policy administration systems that pe people talk about all the time, the big guys, Duck Creek, Guidewire, and that's a hot topic for conversation at every insure tech conference, right? Yeah. Um, but but also the smaller things like, and they're not even smaller, they're ancillary things like customer service. Mm -hmm. I think there's not a lot of technological advancement that's come to customer service. Mm -hmm. Roadside assistance, things that people actually like engage with as a consumer are still really painful when you use a third party and you um, use the traditional approach because it's it's just not kept pace with the times. Mm -hmm. So we're learning that the hard way. And in some cases, we're finding our customers tell us like, you can't leave me on hold for 30 minutes when I need a tow. And that's how we're finding out in some cases that like, oh, when you're out of state, this just doesn't even work. Okay, like it should fix. This shouldn't be something we then say like, well, that's the customer's problem or the customer's fault. It's that our technology and our vendors and the people who work with us need to be as thoughtful and as forward thinking and as progressively minded about how we develop for customers, how we do product development in 2021, not still trying to do product development with patched project road mapping and a waterfall approach mm -hmm. that we can't, we can't work with, you can't even work with vendors who operate in that space. Mm -hmm. So in many cases we have to build the technology ourselves. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a real challenge and a high cost right? Because tech ain't cheap. Uh, engineers do not get paid less than six figures for the most part, right? You, you actually may need to make a pretty significant financial investment in doing that and know that you're actually going to have to build a lot of the things yourself as well. Mm -hmm. um, but that's the opportunity, right? Like if you can get enough capital in the door to be able to own your own destiny, then you can compete long-term. Mm. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you, which um, going back to this kind of transparency, what does it mean for you from a culture perspective internally for forgetting the kind of business side of it? What does it mean for, I think you call them loopers. Do you call them loopers? You must call uh, them loopers. There's all kinds <laughs> of really bad names. I will, I will say I'm not like the best at naming things. Um, so I, I try not to be involved in the naming of things, but uh, <laughs> loopers, loopies, I've heard all kinds of things. Uh, they I, call I themselves that like the is the irony. It's like, it's, it's crowdsourced. It's not us telling them we want to call you loopies. They're like, we're loopies. I'm like, oh, this is not good. Um, <laughs> they can't stop what the crowd says in this case, but um the question again, I've totally derailed is what does transparency mean to you? Forgetting the kind of business side of the culture, employer, you know, employment experience. Oh my goodness. Um, cultural values are incredibly important. And uh, building a diverse organization has its challenges. Mm -hmm. uh, I think most of insurance is focused on like, we need more diversity. We need to be more inclusive. Well, what happens when you get on the other side of that fence and you have 
15 different countries represented in your first 30 employees, eight mm -hmm. different languages spoken, and even diversity of men, women. You have parents, you have older people, you have young professionals, you have a CTO who's 26, a high school dropout co-CEO who's formed multiple businesses and built venture capital, a 57-year-old white man from insurance helping to build your insurance culture, and me, some tech geek uh, that has been doing data science for their whole career. Like, it's a mixed bag yeah, yeah, and that yeah. comes with really cool different challenges that maybe we were ill prepared or ill conceived around discussing because transparency comes a little bit easier to us we just have a culture of having conversation when we need to have conversation leaning into yellow flags having uh, a lot of structure and thoughtfulness into making meetings meaningful, mm -hmm. having meetings that are focused on team. So we kick off each week with a weekly, but then we end each week with thank yous, opportunities for appreciation, gratitude. There's all kinds of like things that companies today do that insurance carriers never did, but we could be different. Um, but I will say there are these new challenges that we're facing just to be honest and vulnerable that like people have different forms of communication. Right. In an insurance company where you have a lot of people from insurance who understand insurance, who've been in insurance forever, you don't face challenges of, um, you know, what are our legal obligations for marketing in the context of a regulated industry of insurance? Right? You need to face these challenges that bring together cultures that are completely dialectically different in many regards um, and then themselves are diverse among their own teams, coming with their own experience, their own chips on their shoulder, their own ways of communicating, receiving feedback, taking feedback. It creates new problems that I honestly, I think one day we'll have to write the book on how we deal with, once we get to diversity, what do we do now? Mm -hmm. um, because there's not a lot of guidance around how you manage very, very diverse teams mm -hmm. and how you, um, how you build a unified culture among many people who do come from very different backgrounds. I guess the learning thus far has been mission. Focusing on mission is really important. Yeah. Why we're here, what we're doing is more important than how we do it. And that there will be periods, we use this little rubric that I found very helpful, hopefully maybe helpful to others is you have forming, which is the beginning of a project. Everyone feels great. Everyone's excited to be working on something new. Then you have storming, which is like, it's fucking chaos. Shit's broke. We need to move fast. Shit's upside down. Then there's norming. Okay, how do we like implement a project plan and make sure that this is becomes routinized and systematized? And is it a good thing that we should continue doing? And having conversation about bringing things into production, which is in the final step. So it's it's forming, norming, or I'm sorry, forming, storming, norming, and then performing. Yeah. If we can get to performance, fantastic. So it's just kind of working through and I guess like problem solving as they arise, which mm -hmm. is the fun part of being in a, in a startup company. Yeah, no, absolutely. No, I, lo I, I love that. And um, there's a, such a better awareness around that now. And I, I think about it a lot. I was, I was at a it's a long time ago now because I've been working for myself for a long time, but I, I worked at a company where I, I was 27 and unusually for a recruitment company, I was one of the youngest people in the room. And, but the person that was running all the kind of like parties and the Christmas and the summer party and, and the kind of 
was like 24 and they just didn't read the room so we turn up at these events and we got this like exclusive nightclub and like most people are like young parents and they're just like and we had a lot of older like because it was a search business so we had some older people and, and they were just like why are we here you know like we don't no, want to be happening. here no no part of any of us want to be here there's but, some funny things that happen where you're like okay but, but it <laughs> was so diverse. funny because the girl who put it together was like having the time of her life going this is amazing you're like no one wants to be here but you but yeah so it really it just really made me think of that I was like okay um but being conscious of your time and I know this is going to open a big probably the biggest topic and I've saved it to last I wanted to ask you fair and transparency I, I, I know I've mentioned it in about three of my questions but you're using artificial intelligence right to provide fair and transparency that's been a massive hot potato um i know you're at mit and mit led the way in how talking about how bias is actually baked into some of ai so just from a kind of technical perspective how do you avoid that what are you doing to avoid that you know how are you kind of ensuring that you're not doing the opposite with your kind of tech yeah, absolutely. And I think the first step is to think about it a lot, right? <laughs> to make a, a commitment to actually considering these things when you're designing, when you're developing, when you're hiring, even before you begin doing projects. Mm -hmm. um, when you're looking at data, when you're cleaning data, you should be mindful of and be having a, a constant conversation in your own head and within our teams to make sure that um, we're keeping this subject top of mind and not falling behind on just keeping pace with the rubric, but really thinking progressively about how do we make good on our own commitment to this. Um, but I will back up a half step and say, it's also a new era for AI. Mm -hmm. um, and this is something I'm having a lot of, I'm feeling like I'm stepping into the sunlight on a little bit more because there is no voice speaking the truth that I feel is true, mm. which is that the first era of AI was largely dictated by white men, just demographically, mm -hmm. but also not particularly the most ethical sect of the white male category, right? right. You have Peter Thiel at Palantir, like using AI to do drone strikes and kill Americans abroad. You have Mark Zuckerberg building Facebook and trying to exploit 13 year old children to become customers, regardless of their mental health. You have like, I mean, in Facebook, there's many other examples too. Like the whole thing was founded on rating women as to whether they were hot or not, like built on a culture yeah. of misogyny. Like yeah. there's... The, there are plenty of great white men in the world, but like they haven't necessarily been leading the AI revolution. And there's a reason is because it is unregulated, it is unchecked, and bad behavior is efficient behavior sometimes. It's also very lucrative behavior sometimes. And so we've ended up in a situation where we've lacked a really purposefulness around why we're using AI and what kind of problems we're going to address using AI. We should not be doing teacher performance. We should not be doing human resource performance. We should not be doing things that are deeply human activities because AI isn't good enough to do that just yet. Mm -hmm. However, if I want to predict where a traffic crash is going to happen and I have millions of car crashes over decades on that road, really subjective observations of things happening that have happened in the past. Yes, we need to accept and yes, we need to review how our bias may affect our measurement at that step, but like a relatively subjective measure and what I'm aiming and what I'm 
per building an outcome for what I'm building a model for is to optimize for the reduction of traffic crashes and fatalities. So I'm looking to build something that isn't saying like, is Carrie Nadeau a 10? No, I'm looking to build something that says, if Carrie Nadeau gets in her minivan with her car full of children to go to soccer practice, can we give them intelligent uh, information from and using AI that can augment her own brain's ability to understand and perceive risk and mitigate risk or avoid risk altogether. If we're building for those purposes that enrich people's lives, make people better off and safer, and at every step checking for bias to make sure that not only are we not hurting anyone or hurting a large a specific group of people, but that we are not getting better for everyone at the same level, right? <coughs> we can't just do something well. We can't build models just well for urban dwellers when mm -hmm. there's suburban poverty. We can't just build models well for people that have great credit scores because there's a variety of reasons why your credit score might be bad. You may mm -hmm. be a financial risk. You may have made an investment. You may have had a health crisis. You may have had COVID-19 happen to your family for Christ's sakes. Like mm -hmm. there are... Um, really sort of a fundamental revisiting of values that needs to happen in AI that I am leading. And I need to step into that light a little bit more and put on that cloak. Mm -hmm. But Loop is making that a very public statement that it's not necessarily just about transparency of black box AI that like what goes into the model is the problem. It's what are we actually building the AI to do? Mm. How can we build trust in the process of how we do it that you find the results reliable, useful, and they meaningfully improve your life? Mm. If we can do that, then it's not that we need to hide. It's that we've built trust with our consumers. Because mm. what's what's interesting, is, and, and thank you, and obviously a lot of that I'm hugely applaud and I completely agree with you. I am... Um, What's interesting, we've got through this whole conversation and not talked about price. Um, and I think that's reassuring because I know that your model generally is giving people better, fairer, cheaper quotes, right? I, I you know, I've read, I can read that and anyone else can read that on your website. But I think the important thing is just giving people access to, um, giving people access to insurance when they might not have been able to get it. I think that's the mission because, you know, insurance is a principle is is golden it works it's great um it's just the fair distribution fair pricing of and access to that we need to improve and and that's what we kind of want to see um yeah. i have a personal life philosophy that like just take care of each other that's mm. it's good guide every decision that we make and that that is fundamentally the underlying essence of insurance is that we're going to take care of each other um the challenges, making sure that we're taking care of each other equally, that yeah. we're not taking care of some people with premium service and some people with non-standard subpar. I mean, we can put all kinds of different labels on it, mm -hmm. but we all know what it is. Yeah, Everyone should be cared for the same. Mm -hmm. And I think that the data that we can bring to the table to actually measure how there's injustice and how there's inequality in product and service and experience helps us then inform how we move everybody forward together. Because unless we're taking care of people that have low credit because they had a financial or health circumstance, but they're otherwise great drivers, they are mispriced, they are overpriced. Mm. Their risk does not equal their rate. 
-hmm. So one model is not built for them. Mm -hmm. A model that reflects their reality needs to come to existence at the same time as servicing everybody else. Mm -hmm. And data is what enables us to make those really good decisions to be able to build a customized, really specific to you risk profile and guidance to help you get better. Because at the end of the day, if you get better, I make more money because you get in less crashes and you are safer. At the end of the day, you get in less crashes too. So like it's optimizing to the benefit of both where our, our optimal outcomes are aligned. I want you to crash less. <laughs> I'm going to have to have that be the, the closing statement of the podcast. I want you to crash less. So um, it's that simple. Yeah, it's that simple. Carrie Ann, I'm really conscious of your time. Thank you so much for being a guest. I've really enjoyed it. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure. My pleasure, really. I feel like this is one of my top five podcasts. So you're doing something right. I'm going to make sure our audience uh, comes to this one because it was a really a fun. It was a pleasure. Awesome. Thank you so much. You take care. Enjoy the rest of your day. Bye. Bye. As always, this podcast is brought to you by FinPro Search Partners, often simply known as FinPro. FinPro is an executive recruitment business working in the insurance and insure tech space on an international basis. If you would like to find out more about FinPro, please visit our website, www.wearefinpro.com or our FinPro company page on LinkedIn. I've been your host, Alex Bond, and I would personally love to connect with anyone who is interested in the changing world of insurance. So feel free to reach out to me directly, um, either on LinkedIn or via my email, alex at wearefinpro.com. I hope you enjoyed the podcast, and I hope to see you back next week. Thank you.